Thank you for downloading this podcast from the Freedom Centre Church in Preston. Well, this morning we're continuing our uh, journey through spiritual gifts and we haven't got much left. I hope we're covering uh, most of you, if not all of you, in terms of you begin to recognize, I think I may have that gift, whatever that gift is. And so this morning, uh, we're turning to two gifts, and <laughs> interesting gifts. One is uh, word of knowledge, and the second one is miracles. Have we any miracle workers in the house this morning? Okay. <laughs> We'll take it from there then. <laughs> okay. And we're going to look, uh, for the sake of our reading, from uh, John chapter 4. Uh, we've been here once or twice in the last few months, but we're coming back into this story. Fantastic story. One, one of my favorite stories. But I'm not going to read the whole uh, chapter to you. I'm going to pick out some verses so that you can just get a sort of uh, a reminder of what the story is. Uh, is all about. John chapter 4. Uh, let's read verse 13 and 14. Jesus, as you remember, has left Judea and he's on his way to Galilee. But verse 4 says he needed to go through Samaria. He comes to Samaria near to a plot of ground that Jacob bought for Joseph. And uh, verse 13, Jesus spoke to this lady who nobody wanted anything to do with. She's out drawing water in the middle of the day to avoid everybody and their conversation and their glares and their accusations. And uh, Jesus spoke to her. That is a miracle as far as she's concerned because Jews don't speak uh, to these sort of people and also don't speak to Samaritans. Verse 13, Jesus said to her, whoever drinks of this water... That's the physical water that she was drawing from, will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Then verse 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And uh, the woman answered and said, I don't have a husband. Jesus said to her, you've well said. I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews." But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. Verse 24, God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And then down to verse 34. The disciples have arrived, saying, what are you doing? Why are you not eating? Has anybody given you anything to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. 
for they are already white for harvest. And uh, God will bless the reading of his word and we'll leave it there. And, uh, and certainly we'll take it uh, from there. We're going to look at two spiritual gifts, word of knowledge, as I said, and uh, miracles. I'm convinced that for many of, you, many of us, life is boring and uninteresting, mediocre even, because we do not ever think of using the spiritual gift that God has put inside of us out there in everyday life. And I hope that as we've gone through these gifts, that you have felt something beginning to push you inside of you, provoking you to use the gift which God has placed, God has birthed inside of you. It would be terrible if we sat and listened for teaching on spiritual gifts for weeks, if not months, and then that just becomes a, into a little closet in our brain and nothing ever happens. It's like, oh yeah, we've done the spiritual gifts. What are we looking at next? We're looking at the fruits of the Spirit. What are we looking at? What, can you t- what more knowledge can you give me? It would be that, that would be awful. God would indict us if we have so much knowledge, but we never work it out. Your spiritual gifts are given to you for a purpose. For a purpose. That's why we're looking at them in depth. That's why we're talking about them. That's why we're trying to provoke you to using uh, your gifts. So, the word of knowledge. John Wimber, who's one of my favorite uh, all-time greats in the Christian, he's, he's dead now, but in the Christian church, a wonderful, brilliant guy, so spiritual, but so normal. <laughs> I love when I hear his testimony. Have you ever asked me, asked me to let you borrow his testimony? His testimony is one of the funniest stories, and the telling of it is absolutely brilliant. He tells his testimony, and it is so funny, just so brilliant. Anyway, this is what he says about the word of knowledge. This gift is the supernatural revelation of fact about a person or a situation which is not learned through the efforts of the natural mind, but is a fragment of knowledge freely given by God, disclosing the truth which the Spirit wishes to be made known concerning a particular person or situation. You got that? Yeah? That is the word of knowledge, uh, gift, spiritual gift. Have you ever looked at someone and had an impression about them? Had a piece of information about them and not, where does that come from? You ever, hands up, have you ever felt that? Okay, quite a number. You think you don't know anything about them and you just know that you know that you know that you know. Have you ever been praying and God gives you a word for somebody, a message for somebody, a piece of information about someone or about a certain situation? Have you ever been reading your Bible and then a verse sort of almost comes out of the page? And as soon as that verse comes out of the page, somebody comes to mind or a situation comes to mind. Often in that situation, in those situations, that can be a word of knowledge being given by God to you. 
I've, I've felt that many times. It's happened to a number of you. A number of your hands went up. It's not information that you naturally know. It's something often you can hear yourself saying, and you're saying to yourself, why am I saying this? Not something that somebody's hinted about. It's not something that you've heard discussed. You just know that you know that you know. And that's happened many times. Susan was talking about the fire evening. That's happened many times in the fire evening. It's been happened many times in our house fires when we've gone to people's homes and we've opened up the floor and we said, does anybody feel like they've got a word for whoever it is and their situation and their home? And a number of you brilliantly have said, I feel God is saying this. Sometimes that's a prophetic word, but often it's a word of knowledge. That's so encouraging <laughs> when it's positive. <laughs> That's so encouraging when you receive that and somebody brings something to you that only, they, only God would have known. Many times somebody's come to us and said something that only God would know that. And that's so encouraging. That's the word of knowledge, gifting. Many examples in the Bible. John chapter 4 I picked out because there's Jesus like he's got every gift you can imagine. Like we've got at least one. He's got everyone. You understand? He's even celibate. <laughs> the gift of celibacy. He's brilliant. Martyrdom. He covered them all. There's Jesus using some of the gifts that he had. I picked out three that he used. You might pick out more. Gift of an evangelist. He used a gift of word of knowledge. He used a gift of prophecy. And we've looked at evangelism before. But let me just say this. In verse 7, he says to this woman, give me a drink. Give me a drink. That's his opening line to this woman. And it's nothing to do with the drink. You understand? It's nothing to do with the drink. It's about opening up the reason for the meeting. Okay? He left Judea, as we said. He's on his way to Galilee. He had this lady in his mind. He wanted to win her. He must go through Samaria. And in order to win her, he had to open up a dialogue, a conversation with her. You can't, you can't win those who you're not interacting with. Okay, that's why I get frustrated. And I see the purpose maybe in years past of somebody thrashing it out in the market square, giving it, as they say in Scotland, loudly, just going for it. But there's no, it's like it's going right over their heads because there's no, there's no interaction, there's no communication. And Jesus says, give me a drink. And that's the beginning of the interaction. He's not waiting for her to make the first move. And he's beginning to use a gifting of evangelism. We need to begin to talk to people uh, about the kingdom. We need to begin to be the kingdom. We have to begin to talk, to share. And most people just say something. But Christians have something to say. You know, you meet people and you look for... Somebody's maybe even taught you, what do you say at a social gathering or a party? What areas do you cover? I never know what to say. And there's certain things that you can say to people that begin a conversation. You understand? 
so that you're not just answering questions that they ask you. Because we have the social pressure of saying something. Most people just say something, anything. But Christians have something to say. And as people with words of knowledge, we certainly have something to say. (laughs) So Jesus, first of all, is shown the gift of being an evangelist. And verse 13, it's an evangelistic message. Let me just read it. Chapter 4, verse 13. It's an evangelistic message that he says to her. He said, to whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water spring up into everlasting life. And she's thinking, what is he talking about? So then verse 16, he says to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman says, I don't have a husband. He says, I know you haven't got a husband. You've had five husbands, and the one you're with is not your husband. In that you spoke Truly, word of knowledge, prophecy, verse 21, woman, believe me, the hour is coming. He's moving into prophetic gifting when, you're, when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. That's the Jesus using these different gifts, showing to her he is somebody different from what she expected when she went to the well. When somebody comes into my company, comes into your company, there should be something of the supernatural friendship, relationship with Jesus that they think there is something different about this person. Can't quite get my finger on it. It's confusing. He's talking about water and I don't know what he's talking about, but there's something different. If you don't stand out, then you're not outstanding. And all of us are outstanding because we have an intimate relationship with Jesus. He's perhaps done something in our life if we've accepted him as our Savior. We have something uh, to say. And that's Jesus. He meets this woman. And I can just imagine him having a wry grin on his face when he saw the woman of Samaria coming towards him. Coming to the well at noonday. Because she wanted to avoid all the other women in the village who would normally gather at the well at the beginning of the day. They would normally be there and they're giving it this. And she avoids all of that because she's the one that they would normally be talking about. And he's got this grin on his face, watching her coming, realizing, here she comes. This is the reason I'm here. And there sits Jesus on the well. A well sitting on a well. Living water sitting on earthly water. Supernatural water sitting on natural water. A spiritual well sitting on a physical well. With a grin on his face, he sees her coming. He's thinking to himself, she's coming here for one thing, and she's going to get something completely different. Going back to the subject of the gift of evangelism, those, who have got you, those of you who have got a gift of evangelism, and all of us who should be witnessing, should see people coming towards us and think, they're just coming to say hello. But I've got much more than a hello to say to them. Yeah? You're looking at me like, hmm, I don't know about that. Yeah. Springs of living water. 
should be gushing out of us. Yeah? And he sees her coming. And when you meet people, have what Jesus had. Have an agenda. You say, oh, it's terrible to have an agenda. Yes, it is. If you're, if you're thinking of having a sense of abusing people or using people, but have an agenda that you want to bless them. And a word of knowledge gets people's attention. Jesus got her attention because he said, go and call your husband. Oh, uh, oh uh, uh, don't have a husband. No, but you've got five or you've had five. And you when you're with, that's not your husband. Well, that's quite a good word of knowledge, isn't it? I think only Jesus could get away with saying, <laughs> saying that one. He, well, but he wasn't abusing her. He wasn't being sarcastic. He said it to get her attention. Others would have said that in abuse. He said it with love, and he said it with compassion. And when you get a word of knowledge, or if you're doing the work of an evangelist, or even a prophetic word, do it with compassion and do it with love. Can I say that again? When you get a word of knowledge, when you're involved in evangelism, when you get a prophetic word, do it with compassion and do it with love. People would look into Jesus' eyes, look into his face, and their heart would melt. It would melt because it would almost be, he can see right through me. He can see right to where I'm at. How do I know Jesus said it with love and said it with compassion? Because of the answers that she gave. Normally, she might have swore and told him to off. But she said, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. You see the reaction? I can tell he said it with love and compassion because in verse 28, it says, The woman then left her water pot, the very reason that she's there, went back into the city where she's despised, went back to the men who she had sinned with, and she says to them, Come see a man who told me all things I ever did. And they're there thinking, Whoa. Because she probably did it with them. Come see a man who told me all things ever I did. Could this be the Christ? Just think about that. See, we read verses and we don't actually think. Place yourself in the situation. She's gone to the well to draw water when nobody else is there because everybody despises her. She meets this man, this Jesus, this this guy who's wandering through, doesn't know who he is. He begins to give her information that only somebody who knew her would know. She dumps the pots goes back into the city, goes back to the people that she sinned with, the men, and says, come see a man who told me all things ever I did. And they go, could this be the Christ? Is this not the Christ? What do we do when we suddenly realize that Jesus is life-changing? I tell you what we should do. And often what we do do is we go and tell other people. Think back to when you became a Christian. Nobody could shut you up. You're telling everybody. You're telling everybody. Aren't you? Do you remember back? Some of you can't think back that far. That's what happened. You talk, 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 talk about Jesus. And I think when it comes to evangelism, 
the new converts are the best converts, the best evangelists, because it's raw. They might not say the, wrong, the right things. They might say get it all wrong. Their theology will be all over the place. It's, half of it's not true. But the fact is, they're just speaking about Jesus. And it's the same with words of knowledge. I think we're brilliant as a church of getting words of knowledge for each other. And we phone up people and we write emails and we write letters and we pray over each other, the house fires and the fires, and we get a word and everything else. That's fine in a safe environment. But Jesus was not in a safe environment. He wasn't turning to Peter or James or John or Andrew or whoever, even Judas, and saying, I've got a word for you. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Yes, this is what God says. This is what God says. Oh, thank you. That's such a blessing. Now, all that is brilliant. There's Jesus in the noonday sun. Nobody's watching. Nobody's there, sweating, needing a drink of water, and he's giving words of knowledge to somebody who he's never met before. My heart would rejoice if I could send all of you into the city center just now, into the Friar Gate, Fisher Gate, any other gate, and actually begin to get words of knowledge for people who don't know Jesus. Wouldn't that be brilliant? Imagine walking up to somebody and saying, can I just share this word? I've been praying for you. As I've watched you from over there, I've been praying. And I believe God's saying, boof. Wouldn't that be a wonderful use of the gift that God has placed inside some of us? Some of you think that would be the worst thing I can ever imagine in my life. But that's what Jesus did. That's what he did. Wouldn't it be wonderful? But we don't do it because we're scared. We're scared of ourselves. We're scared of them. We're scared of rejection. We're scared of being misunderstood. But let me just tell you, most people don't mind. In fact, most people out there are more forgiving than the people in here. You get a wrong word for somebody in here, they might remember it for the next six months. Out there, you probably never see them again. <laughs> and they won't hold it against you. Trust me. They would be just so surprised that you would ever pray for them. They would be so surprised that you would come up to them and say, do you know, I just believe that this week is not going to be as bad as you thought it was going to be. In fact, I think you, when you go for that interview, you're going to get that job. Imagine if you're going for an interview and you're frightened to death about it. You don't know Jesus and a Christian comes up and says, Jesus says, the interview is going to go well. Can you imagine? I could spend hours preaching at them from a pulpit in the center of town and they would just walk by. But you come with them with a specific word of knowledge, then that just blows their minds. So I'm talking to those of you who feel that you've got the gift of the word of knowledge. Can I say, continue to use it here. Continue to use it in the church. But really, get out there and use it. Use it to your neighbors and your friends and your loved ones and your children and your grandmothers, and your uncles, and your aunties, and whoever, people abroad, send them an email. Send them a word of knowledge. But when you do that, be wise, be kind, be, kind, be, kind, be thoughtful. Say things like, you don't go in and say, Jesus has told me, sorry Chris, Jesus has told me. <laughs> well, at least I got him to jump. The rest of you just, <laughs> Jesus has told me, da 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 
I think you should say something along the lines of, do you know, I just sense, as I've been praying, that perhaps this, perhaps that, that I've been praying for you. I feel God saying, just test this. Just see what you feel. See what God shows you. And most people will welcome the fact that you've actually took the time to pray for them. Took the time to think of them. Because most people, and you know this, don't you? Just think of themselves. You know, people say to me, I'm just worried what people are thinking about me. I say, don't worry, they're not thinking of you, they're thinking of themselves. Never thought about you once. (laughs) Everybody's talking about you. I said, they're not talking about you, they're talking about themselves. Just listen to conversations. Just think what you what you think when you wake up in the morning. How do I feel? That's how you think. Oh, I feel rotten. She was thinking about herself straight away. Last thing at night, you're th- lying down, you're thinking, oh, I'm tired. We think about ourselves, don't we? Come on, be honest. You know, that's why you go to work, because you're thinking about yourself. You're not going to work thinking, how much of this can I give away? You're thinking, how much of this can I keep? Because I want to go on holiday. I want to do buy this or buy that or go there or do this. So most people, when you go to them and say, I've just been thinking about you. When I've been praying, when I've been thinking, when I read my Bible, I thought of you. I feel God said this or whatever. Most people will be absolutely astounded because they don't think you think about them at all. Okay, word of knowledge. Secondly, gift of miracles. What's a miracle? It's when the course of nature is changed. It's when the course of nature is changed. Many folks say, oh, it was a miracle. Actually, no, it wasn't a miracle. Come on. It was just a good thing that happened to you. It's a miracle is when the course of nature is changed. And there's so much I could say about miracles. I keep you all day here talking about the miraculous and miracles. But there's just four points I wanted to make about miracles. And they're perhaps not what you'd expect. But anyway, that's what I'm going to say. Acts 19 verse 11 says, Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. So number one, God works unusual miracles. To me, every miracle is unusual. But it says there, God worked unusual miracles. And I think often we, us, the church in general, struggles with that. Have you ever thought to yourself, why does God use them? And why does he do it in a certain way? Why do these things happen with these unusual people, these weird people? God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. Why does God use, do unusual miracles? Why does God use unusual people? Well, one day, ask him. When you get to heaven, ask him. Why did he do unusual miracles? But in the meantime, just get used to the fact he did unusual miracles. And if you can understand it, well, that makes you God and not God God. So be content the fact he does the unusual. 
He does them unusually. By that, I mean he doesn't do the miraculous every time we need a miracle. I sometimes feel, don't you, the most that you need a miracle is like the least chance you're ever going to get a miracle. Do you ever feel like that? I need a miracle, I need a miracle, I need a miracle. And that's the very person that doesn't get the miracle. Do you ever, do you ever feel that? I do. And, uh, and I've met a number of people. I asked you before who's got the gift of miracles. Not one hand went up. Because I was going to test you to see if you did have, that <laughs> did have that gift. But I've met a number of people who have done the miraculous. They have the gift of miracles. But let me just tell you, and you might not think this is right, but I feel it is, they cannot turn it off and on. If I brought them in here now, they might be able to do a miracle. But they might not. A miracle may happen or it may not. I believe they would if they could, but they can't, so they won't. You think, well, that's not right. We're Christians. We're filled with a spirit. We're, we, we, we can do anything. We can do above and beyond all. Do you understand? We think, oh, no, we can do the miraculous. We can do everything that Jesus did. Well, Jesus couldn't always do the miraculous either. Heresy. No, it's not heresy. Mark chapter 6, verse 5. Now, he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. You say, well, that's a miracle. No, that's the gift of healing. That's not the gift of miracles. Jesus was used to doing mighty miracles. And in that location, he could not do the miraculous. Okay? So you cannot turn it off and you cannot turn it on. Jesus did more miracles than anyone else in the Bible. But he came to a place he could not do miracles. So they cannot turn it off, they cannot turn it on. Number two, it's not just Jesus who did miracles. Paul did them as well. The apostles did them as well. The Old Testament prophets did them. The men of God do them. People across the world see the miraculous. All sorts of miracles you'll see in the Bible from parting the waters to raising the dead. Men of God in the Old Testament and the New Testament and today do the miraculous. They see the miraculous. And we can too. That's the good news. We can see the miraculous. We just need to be available. The potential to see the miraculous is right deep within you and deep within me and deep within us. Okay, it's not just Jesus. It wasn't just then, it's for today. Number three, demons know who I am. Demons know who you are. They've got your CV. They've got a list about you. They know exactly who you are. Verse 15, Jesus I know. Paul I know, but who are you? Not who are you that I don't know who you are, but who are you? Who are you? That verse is profound. The demon's saying, I know the power of Jesus. I know the power of Jesus in Paul, but there ain't no power in you. You understand? That's what the demon's saying. That question should search every one of us. It should search every one of us. Susan's told the story 
of a meeting she was in when she was 15 or 16. Demon manifests in the meeting, and everybody's looking like, what do I do? And Susan, and I can just picture her, <laughs> rises up and casts the demon out of the person. You understand? Everybody's looking around, I, 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 don't, know what, I don't know what to do. And the demon would not have gone out if it didn't recognize there was a greater power in the person that was casting it out than, than what it was. Now, good news. All of us have a greater power in us than any demon across the world. Never be frightened of demons. Okay? That's point one. Point two is begin to cultivate your relationship so with Jesus. Have Jesus so fill you with his spirit and be activating the gifts within you so that when the spirit comes against you, the, the demon comes against you, something in you rises up. That something is the Holy Spirit. rises up and you deal with it. Okay? It's not taking you aback. It's not thinking, oh, I'm frightened. I'm fearful. What's going on? Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? That's a brilliant verse. So we begin to think, who am I? What power do I have within me? Have I got enough reservoir of the Holy Spirit in me to deal with certain situations? It's a searching question. Remember God will say to some, depart from me, I never knew you. Well, here's a demon saying to this exorcist, I don't know you either. I don't know what's within you. I don't respect or bow to the spirit that's in you. And so the demon literally gave them a kicking, thrashed them to within an inch of their lives, gone. And the clue that they didn't have the power within them was they were saying, we exercise you, they were exorcists, We exercise you, you demon in this person, by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. God does not have grandchildren. He doesn't have second cousins, third cousins removed. He doesn't have nephews. He doesn't have nieces. He has sons and he has daughters. Okay? So you cannot enter into a relationship with Jesus by your partner, by your friend, by me, by Susan, by the vision team, by this church. You enter into a relationship with Jesus, you and him. Just you and him. You know, I hear people say, oh, we have been married 40, 50, 60, 70. We're, 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 we're virtually born together and we'll die together. Yes, and you will be separated. Ultimately, Every single one of us stands alone, stands on our own. And what you are on your own is who you are and who I am. God doesn't have acquaintances, grandchildren. He just has joint heirs with Christ. That's what he recognizes. Are we a joint heir with Christ? If you are a son or a daughter of of Jesus, you are a joint heir a partner. And that's what God recognizes. Not just God recognizes, that's what demons recognize. Is this person a joint heir with Christ? Has he got the power of Christ? Has she got the power of Christ in her life? And if we have, you'll say, Jesus I know, Paul I know, Tom I know, Jack I know, Sandy I know, whoever it is, I know them. Because I recognize the power within them. 
You understand? You got that? Understand? Yeah? Got it? It's what's within us. And most of us are sitting there looking crushed because we think, oh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't, I don't really know if I've got... You have the power of Jesus within you. Maybe it's in tiny seed form, but we never water it. We never feed it. But it's there. And it only takes a tiny seed of faith to make something happen. So no, no one's here to condemn you this morning. I'm here to encourage you because what God has placed within you has the major, amazing potential, the most amazing potential you'd ever know and see. And it has the potential to do miracles and see the miraculous. Okay, last point. Remember these three words. Three words. Prayer, word, action. The Christian church worldwide is totally and utterly unbalanced. Most, of, most Christians are unbalanced because some are a people of prayer, some are a people of the Word, and some other people are people of action. But if we are going to see the miraculous in my life and in your life, we need to be people of prayer, we need to be people of the Word, and we need to be people of action. Now, if I was to go around every single one of us, just by talking to you, I would understand whether you're somebody who likes to see action, somebody who likes to study God's Word, or somebody who prefers to spend time in prayer. But we'll never live the normal Christian experience, normal Christian life, unless we are balanced of people of prayer, people of the Word, and people of action. James says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. He says, foolish man, faith without works is dead. He says in 1 John 3, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. We have to work out of us what God has worked in. And you've probably heard the story of the person who uh, was a Christian at work, another person who he was working with every day, became a Christian, came back from a revival, evangelistic meeting, got saved, came back into the office, started witnessing to everybody, saying, Jesus has done this in my life. Jesus has done this. I've, I've, I've repented. I've, I've come, I'm now a son of the living God. And, and, and went through the whole spiel. And the person said to him, oh, that's wonderful. I'm a Christian too. And he said, no, you can't be. I've worked with you here five years. You've never mentioned Jesus. You can't know Jesus. I know Jesus. I've just met him last night. You can't know Jesus. And he was dumbfounded because he, 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 couldn't, he couldn't grasp how somebody could be a Christian and never tell others that they are a Christian. Yeah? Am I full of prayer? Am I full of the Word? Or am I full of action? We need to pray people of prayer, people of the word, and people of action. It's like traffic lights. Red, orange, go, green, yeah? Red, stop and pray. Please pray. Please pray more, yeah? Susan was giving you a, <laughs> a talk this morning about coming to the, the fire. 
that's to get us to pray corporately. We can all pray individually, but to pray corporately. That's wonderful. Orange. Get equipped. Get fed. Get ready with God's word. Don't go without being ready. Because you just have nothing to say. So pray. Get ready. Get equipped. Get fed. That's orange. Green. What do we do when the green guys? What do we do when they see that green? Boof. Gone. Will especially. Just woof out of there like a bullet. Yeah? It's almost like go for God's sake. Or for God's sake, go. Woof. Gone. And when people leave churches, for whatever reason they leave, very rarely do they ever leave because they want to go. They usually leave because, well, you don't pray enough, or I don't feel like I'm getting fed enough. I feel like I've moved on, and my spirit, all blah, blah, blah. But they don't never say, well, I'm going, and I'm leaving, because God has sent me to go, go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel. Be balanced. And I was listening to Francis Chan this week. Susan and I both were listening to him. And he was describing TV program of, uh, and you've seen them in, in probably here in the UK as well, of someone who is, I don't mean a bit overweight like me, I mean grossly overweight. You, have you ever seen anybody's TV programs where maybe they're 40, 50, 60 stones? You ever seen programs like that? And... Um, well, a house that I used to own in Burnley, there used to be someone who lived next door to the house that I owned, and he was that type of weight, huge. In fact, he needed to go to hospital, and so they had to get the, the fire brigade to come with the fire engine and take out the top stairs window, take the whole window out, put the crane in, and get a hoist and lift him onto the crane and bring him back out, all to get him into the ambulance. Just hugely overweight. He had to be fed. Couldn't feed himself. He just had to be fed. Do you understand that sort of being obese? Yeah, I don't mean somebody who's like a stone or two <laughs> overweight, like tens of stones overweight. And uh, Francis Chan was talking about people like that, and he was watching a program like that, and God said to him, that person represents a lot of the church. And he's thinking, why? How does that person represent the church? And God says, because they're all overweight. They're all spiritually obese. And all they say is, feed me. Feed me. I can't feed myself. Feed me. Pray for me. Feed me. Read the Bible to me. Feed me. Feed me. And because they never see any action, they never work out. If you didn't go to work, if you didn't exercise, if you never kept yourself busy and you just kept eating, you would just boof, 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 boof. And I was going to try and get a sumo suit in here this morning to show, <laughs> to show it. I couldn't find it. Uh, and and uh, to show you, just to give you a physical illustration of what we can become spiritually, not physically, spiritually. And we think, just feed me. Jack, feed me some more. Tom, feed me some more. Pete, say a word for me. Feed me some more. Oh, the word was great. I felt so blessed. I felt so blessed. Yeah, but we need to go and do it. We need to see some action. 
That's why Jesus said to the woman, when the disciples came, he said, you must be hungry. Do you not want some food? Remember? Go back to the story. Jesus said to, him, said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't say there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes. Look, guys. Look at the fields. Look at this woman. Look at this village. Look at the whole of Samaria. The fields are ready, ripe to harvest. What does that mean? That means the miracles are out there waiting for us to see. Yeah. At your workplace, the miraculous is waiting to happen. Someone who you meet every day or every other day or every week or every month is waiting for a miracle. And you could be that miracle worker. If you don't look for the miraculous, you'll never see the miraculous. And some people in the church say they don't believe in miracles. Lo and behold, they never see a miracle. But I'll tell you something. Those who believe in miracles, they might not see miracles every day, but they'll see one, and maybe two, and maybe three, and maybe four in a year or a month or five years. If you look for the miraculous, you will see the miraculous. If you pray for the miraculous, you will receive the miraculous. But most of us don't pray for the miraculous until we need a miracle. And then we all believe in miracles. Because I need it. Now, hurry up. Where is it? You understand? But give away. Give away. Give away. And if we'll do it for them, we'll do it for you. But we've got to abandon ourselves. We've got to red, orange, green. Every time you see a truffle, like I'm praying, I'm... <laughs> saying, I'm uh, preaching, I'm prophesying, that's the word I'm looking for, I'm just spending time there again until I got the right word, I'm prophesying over you, that every time you see a traffic light red, you'll think of prayer, I need to stop and pray, orange, you'll think of God's word, I need to feed, I need to get ready, and green, I need to go, where are we going God, wake up in the morning and say, where are we going today Jesus? Who are we going to meet today, Jesus? What are you going to do through me today, Jesus? See, wouldn't it be awful, going back to the very beginning, wouldn't it be awful to have all this teaching and spiritual gifts, then we walk out and have a coffee, we go for lunch, and we forget all about it. That's what the demons want you to do. That's what your enemies want you to do. That's what all hell is proclaiming and preaching and praying for. So just keep them in apathy. Just keep them like they're the most interesting person in the world. I was doing some homework on Preston this week into the history of Preston. And this has got something to do with the miraculous. And uh, I was just reading about different things that have happened in Preston. And I stumbled across uh, just about 100, 150 years ago in Preston, where they saw different revivals and different amazing moves of God and miracles and the spiritual gifts being used consistently night after night after night. And there was two men, and you know one of the names, and you know the other name, but you won't know this name in, in the sense I'm going to use it now. First name was Smith Wigglesworth, and he came to Preston, and uh, he came to 
City Church, North Road Pentecostal Church, or the place that the Muslims use now. Um, anyway, that's another subject. I don't want to go there. And um, he went there and to other different churches and brought revival, saw the miraculous, giving words of knowledge, gift of healing, evangelism, all sorts of amazing moves of God. And then there was one man as well who was with him in this and helped him in, in this and helped well, a number of evangelists and uh, people who had different ministries. And that man was called Thomas Myerskoff. Myersko. You know the college, don't you? Well, he lived, I believe, up near Hutton somewhere. And he was a man of God as well. And he saw amazing, miraculous things happen in Preston. You know, Preston, where we live. You know, you think everything happens everywhere, but it doesn't happen in Preston. It's happened. It's gone. It's been. And we missed it. But it can happen today. It can happen now. It can happen next week, next month, next year. All it needs is you and me to be as sold out as Thomas Marsco and Smith Wigglesworth. That's the price. That's the price. Everything has a price. You know, when a salesman comes to sell you something, double glazing, central heating, whatever it is, you're waiting, yeah, but what's the price? No, just let me go through this spiel and I'll tell you the spiel. But what's it going to cost me? Well, just, we'll just get there in a minute. You know that. Yeah, we'll, we'll get there. Just let me do my fact find and let me do my presentation. And when you've seen all the glossy literature, and then I'll tell you the price. So I'm telling you the price at the end of this glossy speech and everything else, this preach. That's the price. A total sellout. It'll cost you everything to see the miraculous. Cost you everything. And when we're as sold out as the people I've just mentioned, or the people in the Bible, or people that you've read books about, it's, they're nothing special. These guys were flesh and blood. They were married. Some of them were single. Some of them were rich. Some of them were in poverty. All different types of people, just like you and like me. Just they decided, I'm going to totally and utterly sell out. Lock, stock, barrel. I'm going to do the full traffic lights. I'm going to stop and pray. I'm going to read his word and get filled up and fed. And then I'm not going to go obese. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go. When that green light goes, boof, I'm out of here. Bang, gone. Will up the motorway. Boof. Yeah? That's what we need to be like. Are we up for that? Think, but think. I always worry about people when I used to sell. I used to worry about the people who used to sign up quickly. Yes, we'll have that. We'll have that. Yes, what do I sign? Yes, fine. Then, uh, and I would walk out the door thinking, I'm going to get a cancellation on Monday morning. <laughs> do you understand? And many of us in meetings can sign up. Where do I sign? Me, me, me. Yes, yes. Jack, I'm in. I'm in. And then by Monday, <laughs> thumbs, <laughs> thumbs down. Oh, that, does that mean you get up early? Does that mean, do you, did you really mean read my Bible? I thought that happened like once a week. No, 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 this is every day. Smith Wigglesworth used to say, I never go, I can't remember, was it 10 or 15 minutes? I never pray for more than 10 minutes, say, something like that. 
Never pray for more than 10 minutes, but I never go 10 minutes without praying. You understand? It's a conversation. It's knowing who's Lord of our lives. It's giving him everything. It's starting with, I went back to, you're on your own with God. Just picture you meeting God, right? There's Jack. It's his turn. He's in front of God. His life is on the line. His life is being examined. He's there. That's the interview. Okay? That's me. And you're watching. And you know, well, Jack's going first. But I'm going to be coming soon. Okay? Now, how do you want to be received? What, you, what do you want the reaction to be? What do you want the verdict to be? Okay? Now, go right back through the line, back through your life to now. We now have to live with that appointment in mind. <laughs> so we go back from where we want to be and the verdict and the result and the reaction that we want then and we work our way back to where we are now and we say, right, I'm going to now work towards what I want that to be. Yeah? Got that? It's not like, well, that'll happen sometime and when we get there, we'll deal with that. No, if you want the right reaction... You've got to work your way back and say, right, I've got to work my way towards that appointment, that time. If we want to see the miraculous, if you want to do miracles, if you want to have words of knowledge, if you want the gift of evangelism or whatever it is, it's not just suddenly going to come, poof, where did that come from? It's going to be that you're working towards it. You have an intimacy so that even demons say, oh, I know you. Whoa, back off. She's arrived. Oh, he's here. Back off. Give, give that person up. Give that situation up. Give that territory up because they're here. Yeah? That's what we want to be. So when we walk into the room, every demon's thinking, whoa, out of here. Yeah? Okay, let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for your gifts that you've given to your church that you've given to your people. Lord, it's a gift. It's free. We haven't paid for it. But we will pay for it. If we want to see it happen, we will pay a price, Lord. Lord, I pray for every single person here. Lord, that you will help us to be people who don't just uh, pray, who don't just read your word, but that we are doers of the word that we actually do the stuff. We don't just talk about the gifts, we use the gifts. And I pray, Lord, you'll make us into people like that. Help us to change our hearts. Touch our hearts this morning, Lord. Help us to see people with compassion and love and grace. Like Jesus saw the person, the lady at the well, the lowest of the low, became the greatest evangelist in Samaria. Suddenly, she had a gift that Jesus gave her. Help us, Lord, to be gift givers. In Jesus' lovely and precious name. Amen. For more information about our church, or to access more of our resources, please visit thefreedomcenter.com.